Welcome to QAV. This is episode 431. This week we talk about why MML crashed after it announced its quarterly results, how Tony uses Warren Buffett's rule number one to avoid losing money. Uh, There's lots of interesting things going on with oil at the moment that we talk about, how mergers and acquisitions can be a signal of late market cycle behavior, why FMG's huge dividend payout could be a signal of some the same thing or just things changing with the company. Then we get into Rio's results and Stock Doctor and why they confused us this week. And uh, Tony then talks about uh, how he updates his scorecard at the early stages of reporting season when there's just a handful of results coming out every day. And that's sort of where we get up to in the free episode this week. There's a lot more content in the club member episode, of course. If you're brand new... I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, My name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail, and then... Feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Thunderbirds are go! Welcome back to QAVTK, episode 431. You're in week five of lockdown and I'm in week one of lockdown. Staring down the barrel of probably five or more weeks up here in Brisbane. <laughs> uh, well, it's good. Queensland's only five weeks behind now. They used to be 10 years behind now. <laughs> <laughs> How are you holding up? Yeah, good. Yep. That's uh, good. I mean, there's not much change to life, but uh, yeah, all good. You're wearing a uh, shirt made out of crocodile skin by the looks of it today. Uh, (laughs) Did you you catch and skin that croc yourself, croc? (laughs) Croc Dundee, Kyniston? No, it's not. Well, it's not leather. It's um, material. It's just a print. Just a crocodile print. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today in the market, a lot of news, a lot of things going on. I want to start with the QAV rankings. Uh, thank you to everyone from QAV Club that's gone up to our QAV rankings spreadsheet and been throwing up their results there. I have to update mine and the QAV ones for last month. But there's some really good results uh, trickling in from people uh, that have been around for a while. 
43%, 45% since inception. Uh, and I wanted particularly to give a shout out to Troy, who posted in our Facebook group, I think last week, that he's had a 54.61% return for the last financial year. Fantastic, isn't it? Sensational results. So congratulations, Troy. And congratulations to everyone who's posting their results on there. Like in terms of uh, last financial year, Daryl posted 51.87%. Mm. Uh, 17% for the last month as well, I saw. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> good work, guys. Uh, what else? So oh, Afterpay. Big news for Afterpay today. <laughs> They're being sold. Yeah. Is that going ahead? Have you heard if it's been accepted or not, or is it just a, an offer at this stage? Uh, well, no. Uh, according to well, the Afterpay board of, of uh, whatever, approved it, endorsed it, uh, okay, that's interesting. accepted it. Afterpay's board unanimously endorsed the deal in the absence of a better offer, saying an independent expert concluded it was in the best interests of shareholders, according to... I reckon the board of Afterpay have gone... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. PayPal have just launched a competing product. Everyone's crowding the market. Regulators are having a look at it. Yeah. Ooh, offer. (laughs) (laughs) They've probably been... You know, it's they're being acquired by Square, founded by the uh, Twitter guys, Dorsey, etc. They've probably been, been turning down their offer for the last six months and telling him to go to hell. And then they're like, ah, that offer. That's <laughs> 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 uh, still on the table. Anyway, so uh, I think the, the article says that uh, the offer is about a 30% premium to what the share price was trading at. The square offer of $126.21 per afterpay share represents about a 30% premium to the stock's closing price on Friday, which is uh, great news for afterpay shareholders, uh, unless they bought it uh, (laughs) six months ago uh, when it was trading up around $160.00. Yeah. In which case, uh, they're never going to see that money again. So it kind of depends, I guess, when you when you bought it. Yeah, well, if you bought it after COVID when it was, what, 16 bucks a share or something, you've done really well. So. Done very well, yeah. Good luck to them. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on in the news this week? Oh, I want to thank Persian Master, whoever he or she may be, for a review of the podcast. They put up an apple. Appreciate that. Uh, I've been asking people lately to give us more Apple reviews, and I appreciate Persian Master taking the time. MML Tony, what the hell happened to what the hell MML? That's what I want to <laughs> ask. MML just sort of dive bombed on us last week. What happened there? Because I, well, I think it's yeah. so. I read a report in the morning that said uh, they'd issued sort of a preliminary results and they were saying it, I read it, it all sounded pretty positive and upbeat and then the share price tanked like mm. 30%. Mm. Yeah, so MML, SLR, Silver Lake Resources and Aurelia AMI also all had uh, quarterly reports come out in the last week or so and they all they all precipitated the share price decline um, because of them. 
And for different reasons, I guess. But it's sort of commonality there. The uh, Medusa one was because their costs went up for the quarter. So Medusa, uh, so, so there's a thing called all-in sustainable costs and it's kind of the benchmark way of measuring costs if you're a, a miner, particularly a gold miner. Uh, and it basically it's like cost of goods sold if you're a, you know owning an industrial company or a factory or something like that. But it does add in things like exploration costs and it does add in things like overheads of the like corporate overhead. So it's kind of it's trying to give you a, um, an overall picture of costs and, and to have one benchmark to compare mines with. And there's been a bit of a history of, um, to get to this stage. So way back when, like 20 years ago, miners were always judged by their cash cost, which was just what they spent. And then people said, hang on, uh, you know, if you're doing lots of exploration, the cash cost might be... Um, misleading because you're just looking at the costs that are associated with mining the ore, not exploring. Um, <clears throat> if you're looking at, if you, know, if you have to uh, close the mine and there's remediation costs, so there's a whole lot of things which are excluded by just the cash costs of mining the ore. So the Mining Association got together and came up with a sort of combined metric for it and that's evolved into all in sustainable cost, which is the basic measure. The issue for Medusa was they came out with a quarterly report saying their all-in sustainable costs was, I think, uh, what was it? It went up to US $1,594 per ounce, up from $1,304 per ounce in March 2021. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for finding those figures quickly. And if you think about it, the gold price is about $1,800 US per ounce. So at $1,600 US per for the last quarter, they're closing in on break-even, if not a loss situation for their mine. So that was the initial reason for the sell-off. However, they've also, um, in their quarterly announcement, forecast their end-of-year results, which are getting close to being finalised. And the all-in-sustainable cost for the year on average was still down around 1300 which is um, pretty standard for the, the gold mining industry. Most, most miners are in that sort of twelve to 1400 range. Um, further analysis looks like for Medusa that they're doing some work on the mine. So up until recently, they've been a what's called a shaft mine. So, you know, you go down a lift, an, eleva- an elevator to get to the mine face. <laughs> He's talking about <laughs> shaft. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Sorry, keep going. Uh, that's all right. Uh, and now they're putting a ramp in, so like they're, they're putting a what's called an incline in, so they can drive trucks up and down to the the mine face, which is an expensive thing to do, which is what's pushed, pushed their costs up because they've started work on it. Uh, and it's generally lumped in with exploration costs because as they drill to do that, they might find some more gold. So that's there's a reason behind why their costs are up. But as often happens with quarterly reports, the market doesn't stop and ask for a reason; it just jumps. Oh, costs are up, bad. Boom, let's sell the stock, and that's one of the one of the things that you know Buffett's called out over the years, and other people have called out over the years is we shouldn't have quarterly reports. They're just focusing everyone's attention on the short term. You should be looking at the long term, and this is a classic case. You know, Medusa are trying to improve their long term prospects, trying to make the mine more efficient, trying to get at a lower ore body by getting trucks down into the you know the deepest part of the mine, and not just 
guys in hats with with um, jackhammers going down an elevator. So uh, this is a, a classic case where short terms trumped long term. Um, that's that. There was a couple of other things with the other miners. So Silver Lake uh, and Aurelia both had good quarterly reports, but they called out the fact that they were starting to see inflation in the mining industry. So contractors were costing more to hire. Um, other service providers were putting their, their fees up. Uh, and they were also finding it difficult um, to manage the COVID situation with fly and fly out workers, for example. So there's a, there was like um, good results, but then they kind of come with caveats. And so again, people are like, like at any sign of an issue, jumping and dumping the stock. That leaves us with a, with a sort of decision to make. What do we do? So Medusa Mining was in our dummy portfolio. It came back to the price that we paid for it. And I decided to sell and to buy something else on our on our um, checklist. And uh, that kind of caught people by surprise. A couple of things. Uh, it's really on a case-by-case decision. So if you had if we had bought Medusa at a lower price, it's still way above its sell price. If if we weren't about to lose money on it, then I'd say keep it. Um, I, I would wait before buying it because, as we've talked about before, I don't like buying things that are in a short-term decline, and that's where it stands at the current um, current time for Medusa. It's, it's, it's re- the share price has retreated. I'll wait to see it turn the corner so we know we're through, well, we hope we're through the bottom. Um, so that's the reason for rotating it in our dummy portfolio, and that's what we call rule one, don't lose money. And the logic behind behind that is that uh, if it, if the share gets back to what we, what I paid for it, then I prefer to sell it and buy something else. And yeah, I might lose might lose out hypothetically if the share price turns around from there. Uh, but I don't want to lose money, um, which I potentially could do or could risk if I held on to it and uh, the share price kept going down. So there's two risks there. One is that you miss out on the upside because you um, you sold out at break even. Um, the other one is that uh, you save the risk of it of losing money because it keeps going down. Essentially, it's cost you nothing to, for that insurance except for the transaction costs, I guess, because by selling at break even, we haven't incurred any capital gains tax liability, and we're kind of um, still exposed to upside because we bought another stock with that with the proceeds, and so. You know, I'd expect that stock to go up anyway because it's um, high up on our checklist. So I kind of see it as being almost a free insurance on not losing money. That's why I sell when it comes back to break even. So uh, for the people out there who are questioning why we were selling Medusa, it's because it was at break even and I didn't want to, didn't want to take the risk of losing money on it. Now, it can go both ways. We had, we've had cases before, like we sold Remilius Resources out of the dummy portfolio last year when it got back to our... Um, buy price, I invoked rule one, and then Remilius promptly turned around and, and rocked it up. So it can go against you, but we would have bought something with the proceeds of selling Remilius, and that would have done well too because, you know, we had a good year last year. So uh, I, I, I like to protect my downside. And speaking of Aurelia Metals, which is one which I have held through my, my break-even point, it's still been going down. So... 
that that was one where I thought, gee, you know, is the is the market overselling this? It's back to where they paid for it. It's way above its sell price on our three point trend line. I'm going to keep it, and it's just cost cost me money since then. So. I kind of keep it in the portfolio now as a reminder to me to uh, apply rule one <laughs> next time it occurs. <laughs> well, that I was going to ask you because with MML, I bought it uh, on the 11th of June at its all-time peak of $0.94. Cents, uh-huh. And then it dropped within like a week down to $0.81. Cents. It dropped uh, the further week down to $0.80. Cents. And I held on to it because it was way above its three-point trend line then it shot back up to mm-hmm. 93 94 cents on the 19th of July and I was saying to Taylor see that's why you hold <laughs> <laughs> and then I sold it a week later at 81 and a half cents again and it dropped back down so <laughs> I should have uh, if it, it dropped so quickly after we bought it we maybe should have sold it Faster, just gone. Screw the three point yeah. trend line. Just if yeah, you buy it and it drops, just get 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 out. Yeah, I think that's a safer rule. Yeah, you, you, in which case you would have taken a ten percent loss, uh, which you can use for capital gains in the future. But you are covering that downside. That it's not just a ten percent loss; it can keep going. Yeah, and look, you know, to be honest, like I just gave a bit of a thumbnail sketch on quarterly reports for those three gold companies, but. I don't want to get into having to know so much about gold mining that I need to analyse their quarterly reports and mm. make an informed decision about, you know, the share price drop, is that a good or a bad thing? Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm focused on our checklist metrics and what to do you know, from a portfolio point of view rather than trying to work out whether the market's right or wrong about this particular gold stock um, now. So, yeah. So... Uh... Well, there you go. Lessons to learn. Um, So, you know, uh, Mark and a number of people asked us um, with reference to MML, so how how does rule one override the three-point trend line? If I understand what you're saying, it's if you buy a stock and then its share price takes a significant backward slide by 5 or 10%. Well, below what we paid for it. Anything. It's back to what we paid for it. Yeah. If it immediately, 1%. If it goes down 1%. Oh, well, no, because oftentimes we'll buy something and it might drop 1% because our buying may have forced the price up by 1%. So that often happens. Especially Your buying in small might stocks. do that. I don't think my <laughs> buying is doing that. But. Well, you just may have bought on the wrong day, right? It can be a 1% swing. Well, the Cameron, um, Cameron Kerr generally. says that whenever I buy something, it immediately goes down. So, I mean, I'd be, I'd be selling everything. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like I've got a curse on me because we did a pull apart on Medusa mining like a week ago or something or two weeks ago. Yeah, you were talking about how great it was on Phil Muscatello's show, Yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Whoops. Yeah, so that happens too. Yep. Yeah. Whoops. And you were yeah. doing MIL. It was your other one you were doing that had the emphasis <laughs> of matter. Hasn't been yeah. a good week. Uh, no, okay, lot. but... So if it if it I need if it out more, it's locked locked in. <laughs> if you buy something, just mm-hmm. shows that you're human, like all of us, Tony. I like it. Uh, if if you buy something and it drops by X percentage, 
We're saying if what? if you bought something and the next day it was a one percent lower, I wouldn't sell because I think that's just sort of normal market volatility. Hmm. But if yeah, if you bought it and it went down, say five percent, definitely by ten percent, I'd be selling out. Right. But the case I'm speaking of is was Medusa Mining where we bought it, it went up. Yeah. And it's come back to the buy price. That's much yeah. easier to you know put rules in place. Right. Back to rule one. Yeah. So if it comes, if you buy it and it goes up and it comes back to your buy price, sell it, even mm-hmm. if it's above its three point sell line. Correct. Uh, if you buy something and it immediately drops by five to ten percent, sell it. Sell it. Yep. Uh, and if you buy something and it's been going up for a good period of time. Um, then the three-point sell line is our benchmark for when we sell. Correct, yes. If if neither of the first two conditions have been met, condition three holds. <laughs> I've just spent days reading a contract, so it's like clause 13.1 subparagraph yeah. G. Yeah, okay. I hope that – well, that helps me. I hope that helps everyone else out there and I'll uh, – I will um, update the Bible to reflect that wording uh, for future reference. I want to go check WWG now that I bought today and see how much it's dropped since I bought it. Because uh, <laughs> I had to sell hum today because hum right. breached its sell line on Friday. Mm-hmm. And then uh, jumped up today uh, on the news after an hour after I sold it on the news of uh, after oh, pays, <laughs> but it's it's come back, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is the Cameron curse responsible for, for stocks going down, it's like they go up after you sell them. Too. <laughs> yeah, acquisitions, thirty nine billion dollar right. acquisitions happen uh, when I sell something. Uh, <laughs> I got a stock I want you to sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine if I'd sold Afterpay and then that acquisition news came out. That would be oh. the real thing. Um, mm. WWG's up. That's good. Now, you wanted to talk about oil last week, Tony, but we didn't get time. Do you want to talk about oil still this week? I know yeah, you touched so, on it briefly um, last week, quickly. but I think you wanted to go just more. Just quickly, yeah. So when I raised it, it was getting down towards the commodity sell price, but it's 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 back up, I think, again into the mid seventies. So the sell price was about sixty six. So that's not really an issue so much at the moment. Uh, it was when last week because OPEC had a bit of a falling out and there was some disagreement about what the volume target should be. And basically, OPEC and OPEC and Russia <coughs> control what the oil price does by how much they let in, into the market. It's a cartel. Uh, so there was some disagreement there. Anyway. That's now passed and things have been smoothed over and the oil price is back up into the mid-70s. That's good. But uh, there's been a couple of developments which are of interest. One is um, BHP have decided to sell off their oil business. So that was interesting, I thought. And that's, you know, partly they're trying to assuage investors who want them to get out of fossil fuel. So they're out of coal and now they're getting out of oil. Uh, but that that means someone's going to buy those oil assets and probably get a good deal, because I don't think BHP BHP will be a um, an intentional seller. They'll be a motivated seller, so they'll probably not get the best price. But anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, I did think maybe Woodside or Santos might pick them up, but uh, Santos have now 
gone into a tie-up with Oil Search, which is a company that's not on our checklist, but uh, Santos is. Oil Search has been a Papua New Guinea oil explorer and uh, <clears throat> um, I don't think they're a refiner, but they certainly um, take the crude oil out and sell it. So export is what I'm looking for. Uh, but they've had problems for a long time, either with PNG from sovereign risk point of view or just, you know, managing, operating in that kind of environment. And it's it's always been a, a real hit and miss oil search. So Santos tying up with them is, is seen by the market as being a way of improving the operational capabilities of oil search. And oil search certainly does have lots of reserves. So I think it'll be a good thing for Santos, which is a share that, I own and it's been on a checklist for a while. Uh, the interesting thing about the Santos approach is that it's a merger of equals. So it'll have to be approved by shareholders of both companies and uh, it'll mean that, um, you know, I think Santos from memory gets the majority stake in the combined or Santos, Santos's shareholders get the majority stake in the combined company and Santos's board and management will take over and run it. The reason for that is that um, Santos doesn't have the the PE premium to go and make a, a script offer for oil search. And that le- led me to think a lot about what's going on in the mergers and acquisitions market at the moment. It's starting to feel a bit like 1985, 86 all over again. There's lots of M&A activity and the, the, sell, the sale of Afterpay is a classic example of that. And it gets driven from time to time in the market, generally towards the end of a cycle, a boom cycle, and usually because it's fueled by debt or high PEs. And so both of those are happening in the market at the moment. Um, there are, the market PE is up, and uh, that means that a company that's on a high PE, which I'm sure Square would be, it's a it's a you know a tech darling from the US. That's so I don't know what the PE for it is, but it's probably triple digit. Uh, that, that allows them to offer script to buy out other companies at a much more attractive basis than paying cash for the shares because their script is, is basically overvalued. Uh, so you see that you see this happening time and time again at this stage in the market. Companies who've got high PE ratios start taking over companies that have lower PE ratios, even though Afterpay has a high one, and leveraging that difference in the PE ratio. Uh, which is more attractive than paying cash for shares. Uh, the other way that they can do it is to get um, lots of debt, which is possible now because interest rates are low. And I think the classic example of that at the moment is the Borrell takeover by Seven Group, uh, which is uh, has basically happened. Seven have had to borrow a lot of money to have the takeover go through because they weren't really trying to take over the company. They were just trying to increase their shareholding. and People just more people than they thought sold into their offer, which wasn't that great. It wasn't much above what the share price had been historically. Uh, and now Seven have a lot of debt, which they'll pay down because Borrell are selling assets, including their US business, and then they'll return that capital to shareholders. And now Seven, being a, the biggest shareholder, will get the majority share of that. But I think they'll, you know, they'll still potentially have a, a fair bit of debt to deal with. And that's fine while interest rates are low, but when interest rates get, get start to rise again, we'll see you know which which sort of takeover experts have been over leveraged, and we'll also see that when when uh, interest rates start to rise, which will affect high PE ratio stocks and their PEs will drop, and uh, that will that will just stop 
takeover activity um, from them. So it'll be interesting over the next probably one to three years to see how all these mergers and acquisitions finish up. And they can, as they did in 87, when you had all the corporate raiders like your Ron Brealeys and um, Adelaide Steamships and Alan Bonds borrowing heavily to buy out other companies. And then when interest rates started to rise, they all went bankrupt and that sort of threw the market into, into chaos. That may happen again, may not, but it may happen again. So I think we're starting to see the seeds sown of that kind of play out for the end of this boom cycle. Hmm. Wow, okay. Not trying to forecast, but I'm saying I've seen it before. <laughs> you don't think this time it's different, Tony? I do not. Nope. FMG? FMG, I just wanted to make a couple of points. and It'll be interesting to see what happens when they report. Um, and Rio has reported and has now come onto the checklist um, quite high up in our top scorers list. I get a QAV score of 0.58. So Rio Tinto is another iron ore miner, which is a competitor for FMG. So, Sorry, while you're on that, what's your price to cash flow for Rio? Because mine's like over 10. I saw a lot no, of people on Facebook saying it was on the checklist, but on the scorecard, but for me the PCF is very high. Hang on, I'm just looking up for you. I'm getting uh, for Rio, price to cash flow. I have 1.6. What? Sorry, don't, don't choke to death. Wasn't that? <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> it was 10. It's now, what, oh, it's now 1. 1.6. What do you mean Excuse it me? was 10? When did it stop being 10? I ran a <coughs> I ran a scorecard last week and it was ten. I mean, I didn't yeah, they do the reported yesterday. Data, they so reported uh, on from oh, Friday. Oh right. So what changed between when I ran this Friday morning and Friday afternoon? Whole lot of cash. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So the the last numbers were from December, and you know that now they've had an an iron ore price above two hundred bucks for another six months. It just just does wonderful things for these iron ore miners. So we'll see the same thing with Fortescue Metals Group, but they're already on the top scorers list. But, yeah, Rio's now on. Right. Um, so I just wanted to, wanted to talk about that before we um, uh, go back to Fortescue Metals. So it's it's now into company reporting season. If you go into, for those people who are stock doctor subscriptions, you can look at the recent updates, which is worth doing um, at the moment until we start getting into the real bulk of the reporting season, which is next week and the week after. But at the moment, you can go into Stock Doctor um, and click on Tools and then halfway down you'll see Recent Updates. Ah. And if you go into that and I um, select All Companies and then uh, for the Update Types, I deselect everything except for company financials updated and then click refresh and uh, I've set the date range for this past week. There's um, there's only been one, two, three, four, five companies reported right. in the last week. So these are the ones that are starting to report for the financial season. Uh, I think most of those are listed investment companies which reported early. So 
we've got stocks called one called Whitefield, which is an LIC, uh, Brickworks Investment, BKI Investments LIC, Magellan Financial LIC. Uh, but we have got Rio in there and uh, one that's just come up in the last few hours called Oceana Gold, which we can look at. So rather than um, do a complete update, what I do for this is I go back into the tools, do a, a stock filter for today, uh, download a new QAV download. But all I do is select uh, the row with Rio in it and then just pop that into my, my, my most recent download, which is a quick and dirty way of doing a, uh, an update for Rio. Sorry. Just uh, walk me through that again slowly. So you go into stock filters yep. and then do what? Select the QAV filter. Yeah. Run it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Save it to the CSV. Yeah. And then rather than go through the whole process of doing an update yeah. of my master spreadsheet, yeah. which, you know, as we know, can take half an hour or so. Yeah. And there's only been one company that's um, reported. I'll just open that download, uh, find Rio Tinto, do a search, and just pull out that line, and just which paste, has the new updated financials, and, and paste, paste it, it in. The, um, yeah, to the latest latest download. All right. Hmm. <laughs> you made me laugh, and the, my tea went down the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, good. No, that's yeah. now, now. Now I've set a benchmark. I have to try and do that uh, once a week. You know, <laughs> like, see if I can make Tony do a spit take with his tea. Splurt, yeah. <laughs> so you grab your. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on. How many questions we have from our audience that week because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, Go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1 as well, all of the free episodes in Season 1, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe. Good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week. 
Oh, and don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Cameron Riley, C-A-M-E-R-O-N-R-E-I-L-L-Y.